0: the harshest of operating conditions. Large-scale investment, planning, and commitment places the offshore sector in a league all on its own, where the stories of people aren't found anywhere else.
1: From safety to operations to new technology, we look to break down this often mystified industry and shed light into the unknown. You're listening to the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast with your host, Andy Lash. All right, so everybody, thank you for listening. Welcome to the show. This is the Oil and Gas Offshore Podcast. Today we are here with Sarah Whiteford from One Step Power. Sarah, thank you for coming out. Thank you for your time.
0: Thanks, Andy. It's good to be here.
1: Everybody, if you enjoy the show, please leave a comment, leave a review. We will take those reviews and hopefully read them on the next show and thank you for your time the show is brought to you by tidewater marine their premier service provider for the offshore industry with operations around the globe sarah you know that sector very well i think we're going to learn a lot about the offshore sector and dynamic positioning and some of those different things that go into the maritime field before that how about we learn a little bit about yourself Okay.
0: Thanks, Andy. I am a petroleum engineer by background. My, I'm Australian. I graduated from university back about 12 or 13 years ago. Since then, I was a drilling and completions engineer, and I basically just worked my way up the drill string from drilling and completions, subsea completions, subsea installation, Back onto the vessel, and I've been building drill rigs in Korea for the last few years. As part of that process, got really involved in the regulatory and compliance side of drill ships and drilling vessels, and that led me to co found One Step Power.
1: And One Step Power is, I've been learning about it, I'm learning myself. How would you sum it up?
0: Okay, it is a company that provides testing technologies for offshore and remote power
1: systems. Okay. And most of those power systems are utilized throughout the ships. It powers everything on the ship. But one of the biggest things like we were talking about is dynamic positioning, navigating that ship, keeping it in position when you're moving loads, when you're moving cargo and doing a lot of the work, if you will.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. So one of the key things when you're offshore is ensuring that you're where you need to be. You're having to compete with the elements and you're having to compete with other factors that are going to be attempting to try and move you from that location. And you need to be keeping in that spot. Primarily, we do that using thrusters and we do that using the very, very complex dynamic positioning algorithms inside the computers on the bridge or aside the bridge.
1: Yeah, that is a lot. I've been, we've been talking for probably a lot the last hour. I've been trying to get caught up to speed enough to to put this on air, but it's been very fascinating and it's a big part of the industry, I know.
0: And I'm trying really carefully to make sure that I don't say something that's like slightly factually incorrect and get someone who's actually understands the industry going, she doesn't know what she's talking about, but still keep it high level and not be too technical and people can't understand what I'm talking about. So if you're like supremely into the industry and you're thinking she is just clueless and does not know what she's talking about, you're going to have to forgive me because I'm going to let a few things just go because it's going to be easier. But one of the things that we're really passionate about is educating people in the industry and educating people about the industry. So we wanted to take the time to do this But, yeah, I'm going to – if you're like an expert, please forgive me.
1: (laughs) Oh No, you can blame it on me. I'm asking all the silly (laughs) questions. I'm learning a lot here already. Before we get too deep into the technical stuff – Did you move to the states for one step, or how did you end up here?
0: Yeah, so when we were developing the technology, we made the decision that we wanted to be here in Houston. We wanted to be where the decision makers were, both from the drilling side and the offshore side. We wanted to be somewhere. I mean, I kind of wish we'd chosen Louisiana, but we chose Houston so that we would have a base where the decision makers were.
1: Okay. How long have you been here in the the states? I've
0: been here twenty months, which is twenty months. Okay. Been a great experience. I love Texas. I love Houston. So it's,
1: it's great. It's good to be here. I like, yeah, uh, that's what Texans say. Are you from Texas? No, but no? I
0: got here as fast as I could. That's right. <laughs> See,
1: you're catching on already. You got it. You got it. So, no, it's wonderful. And so you move here to the States to start One Step. And you said the technology is very new you when was it that you guys rolled out or launched or
0: yeah so we've been developed in development for the last three years we did our first project offshore in december last year so we've got about 10 months of run time on the technology actually being in field well in field it's testing so it goes out gets installed and removed but in field testing we've performed some projects on various different sizes of vessels both from the offshore support vessels, the smaller three- and four-generator vessels, up to the big drill ships and semi-submersibles, So,
1: well, drill ships so far. So this could be done during normal operations out in the field, more often than, say, in a dock or a dry dock or on— close to shore, I guess.
0: Yeah. So you need to be in dynamically you need to be dynamically positioned. You have to have those thrusters running to get any value out of doing any sort of power system testing. You need to know what's going to actually stay on. So we don't do it while we're in field. We try and you know, that's not always a good idea. You know, there's always a potential you're going to be blacking something out. You don't want to be doing that in a situation where you could cause bigger problems right but so we try and do it either between wells or on the way to and from if it's a support vessel on the way to and from a project so while they're outside of the 500 meter zone while they're just transiting or they're doing things and we can get in and interact with the system then
1: so and the show is you know oil and gas focused but this is something for anybody in the offshore sector any kind of ship yeah. it's going to use it.
0: Yeah. So we're already seeing interest from uh, the wind side as well. And this is applicable to cruise ships. This is applicable to a whole range of vessels, primarily anyone that's worried about trying to either station keep or trying to make sure that they have power for a reason. FPSOs is another example. They need to make sure that their compressors continue to operate even when they have a scenario of voltage disturbance on their network. So. It takes like three days to bring a compressor back up to speed. That's a huge amount of money because the only thing that's worth anything to an FPSO is on the other side of that compressor.
1: Okay, and I lost you on the abbreviation.
0: Sorry, FPSO, Floating Production Storage Offloading.
1: Okay, so transferring... Products between ships. Is that what you're
0: saying? So the FPSO the, is a vessel, and it is located in the region where you're producing the oil from. And what you do is you bring it onto the FPSO. Sorry, I'm going to acronym. No, we've go used for it, it, it now. You bring it onto the you bring it onto the FPSO using the risers. Then you basically your process. You do your basic level of processing of that. So you'll strip out the water. You'll strip out the gas, and you'll clean up the oil a little bit. Then what you'll do is you'll have another vessel come alongside and that'll be your tanker and you'll offload from your FPSO onto your tanker and the tanker will take it away.
1: Okay, okay, awesome, okay. So like we talked beforehand, I am learning everything as each show goes on, each episode is all... New offshore information for me.
0: It's great, Andy. And it's kind of cool because, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years and I have one of the most bizarrely random accumulation of knowledge that you will find, right? So this is fun. I'm happy to help. (laughs) It's fun.
1: I appreciate it. My my kind of high-level goal of the show is to – I get to learn and bring the audience along with me. So – It's been very kind of high-level things. This is by far the most technical aspect that we've talked about. Not that we need to get super technical, but this was the one. Okay, I was like, I know nothing about dynamic positioning. I need to do some research. So I did. I went out. I did some research, watched some YouTube videos, and did stuff to, to at least keep up with the discussion. So we have dynamic positioning to position that vessel through currents, through wind, through everything that could be both during a cargo exchange, it could also just be general navigation, or is that, that going to be a different system?
0: So typically they will use a different system so it will be a tied in and you will basically select rather than selecting dynamic positioning which is going to give you that point to point you're going to choose a navigation so you will and sorry any DPOs that are listening I know I'm butchering your entire job my apologies you will basically your a course and follow that course exactly as you would on a smaller vessel
1: okay and the system that you offer through One-Step Power is a, a testing system to make sure that everything would work in a real-life scenario if you had a short circuit or something like that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we basically what we do is we install some equipment temporarily between the generator and the automated voltage regulator, which is the piece of equipment that controls the generator field. And what we do is we take control of that field. I'm sorry.
1: That's fine. Um, a little noises in the background. <laughs> we are in in your facility here yeah. in Houston. We've got workbench outside with a bunch of generators. We got we got stuff being done. I mean, this is yeah. business is happening around us right yeah, now. Yeah, so it's super noises fun. are okay. <laughs> so I've completely forgotten where I was going with that. We're um, talking about navigation versus dynamic positioning and. And, and then we were talking, and then we were talking about testing so testing, you implement right, your right. You so we, we install the install. equipment yes.
0: between the AVR, which is the automated voltage regulator and the generator. Basically, what we do is we install equipment that will be able to take control of the voltage signal. and then what we do is inject that voltage signal with different styles of faults. So we'll be able to generate, This sort of thing that you would see during a short circuit or during a KVAR imbalance. And, you know, I'm going to throw out some faults. You know, you'd see a generative loss, a load sharing failure, loss of sensing or some other failure that your system might experience as part of your day-to-day operation. And we generate those faults and then we see how the whole system responds to those faults.
1: And those faults could be, in like a worst case scenario, catastrophic to the vessel? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. From just losing all power and then the, just control of the vessel or what we were kind of talking about, if you are in that cargo transfer space, you're adjacent to another vessel and now you have exactly two colliding. Exactly.
0: So scenarios that you would see in the industry and we've seen in the industry, the Mumbai High North field incident back in the 90s the Macondo incident, obviously, the Bibi Topaz incident. So we see incidents in the industry where the dynamic positioning system and the power systems associated with those have caused catastrophic failure. We've also seen a lot of support vessels hitting drilling vessels. We've seen a lot of support vessels hitting spas and production facilities. We aim to assist in presenting solutions so that we can reduce the likelihood that those collisions are a result of power system failure. That's pretty much all I (laughs) can
1: So even higher than a dynamic testing service technology. It's a safety improvement tool. Absolutely. First and foremost, right? Yes. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So, and this this is like we've talked about. This could be for an offshore service ves- vessel, all the way up to the largest of drill ships, keeping that ship directly over the well bore through waves and current and wind, and yeah. just keeping it right on spot.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: Which is pretty cool. It is. Yeah, it's been super fascinating. Like I said, I've I've already been here an hour, and that was just us talking before we turn on the mics there. <laughs> that was like dynamic positioning everything. 101, yeah. yeah? <laughs> it's good. I'm learning tons.
0: No, it was super fun. You know, we're really passionate about helping people understand what we're trying to achieve. We're really passionate about bringing the industry to a new level of safety and reliability, and we're really passionate about doing it in a way that allows us to push the industry forward and
1: ask ask the difficult questions. So, that's what we do. Because this is something that you can't easily do today. Right? You can't test. There's nothing on the market. There's no process to do the testing that you guys are offering.
0: Yeah. So there are some solutions out there that will allow you to perform short circuit testing. You can definitely perform most of the other testing we do using other systems. But what we're able to provide you with is that safe solution. So you're not having to interrupt your protections. You're not having to interrupt the way that your system operates because we're invisible. So nothing that we do we don't change anything on board the vessel we literally see how the vessel operates which is very very different to the way that most of the time you're having to perform testing because of the and i'm just going to explain it like way simpler the layered levels of protections that you have on these vessels so these levels of redundancy and reliability to try and protect the system it's very very difficult to induce a failure because the system's like totally designed to not let you induce a failure. So you
1: have to break multiple systems to do So you have to, to break
0: systems to test systems. So what we give you is the opportunity to do that without breaking your system. So we, we remove that need to inject changes into your system and we do the changes from our side instead, which is kind of a very different way of looking at it. And again, it comes back to this concept of, well, you know, what are you trying to test for? What are you trying to achieve? are you here for reliability and safety or are you here because you need to check a tick box off, you know? And so that's one of the big things that we've been about is trying to figure out why are you doing this testing and then make sure that you can do it the best way possible. It's actually how the company started.
1: Okay. So let's, let's go into that a little bit. That was going to be my next question is how did you find this need in the industry Mm. to get you where you are today?
0: Yeah. So Andy, (laughs) we were literally sitting on board a vessel in the just offshore of South Korea. And we were, it was a rather large semi-submersible project and we were sitting and Mark, the co-founder of the company and I were sitting there in the engine control room of this vessel. And we were both on the floor with our feet out in front of us, just absolutely exhausted after just way too many days of testing. And I was watching one of the vendors in a control cabinet, changing settings on his laptop. And then I was looking over at someone else doing something over the other side and then they were starting to coordinate it and getting ready to do testing. And I looked at Mark and I said, there has got to be a better way to do this. This is absurd. And about six months later, the project had finished. We were all, you know, kind of relieved and trying to recover our lives after (laughs) what had been a very intense project. And he rang me out of the blue and said, hey, I've got a solution, let's do it. And I said, if you can do what you say you can do, We've got something
1: cool. So,
0: yeah, that was two, two three years ago.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, awesome. It's you've taken it this far, so congratulations on that. I'm sure Thank there's you. still a, a bumpy road ahead to really uh-huh. keep it get it out there. <laughs> Absolutely. But you guys are certainly making progress, which is awesome. And thinking this is more of an electrical engineering field, and you said you're in petroleum yep. engineering, yep. so a little different. Yeah, but it it's it's working.
0: a constant learning curve. Yeah, it's super fun. My background, as I said, you know, I started this. I started in drilling and completions, and just kind of worked my way north. And one of the things that I've learned over the years, right, is that compliance doesn't change. The rule might change. You might have a different set of rules in front of you, but you still need to figure out how you're going to get that done, right? And so for me, the challenge has been when I was building ships, the challenge was, okay, well, here's my rule. How do I actually comply with that rule? How do I actually get a solution that's safe for my vessel? How do I get a solution that I know won't cause more damage than it fixes? And so that was that was where we kind of came from. And Mark's an very, very talented power electrical engineer. So he has the the brains and the know-how on the technical side of performing the testing and the technical side of actually being able to create this technology. And then I'm on the other side of it going, okay, so how does that fit into the rules? How do we, you know, how do we approach classification societies? How do we approach clients and actually say, hey, this does fix your problem. This isn't just something that we've, you know, we've invented and there's no use for, you know, which when you're a startup, that's kind of a stress, right? Constantly, you're worried that you've built something that no one's going to need, right? Which thankfully, because of a whole series of reasons is not the case for us. So it's exciting.
1: So there are standards in place that require some form of testing. Yes. On these vessels, but like, as we've already talked about, that's that's difficult, that's costly, that's mm-hmm. hard on the equipment. You mentioned earlier, you know, some of these generators, or, or maybe one of your staff mentioned, you know, you do some of these tests, you just took a big chunk of that, that generator's life offline. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. So I'm not going to quote statistics because I'd be lying, but you do reduce and you do observe damage in the field as a result of this if it's not performed safely. It's not to say that people aren't doing it safely. There are some companies out there that are doing it very well. We do observe, however, we're seeing a lot of insulation damage. We're seeing a lot of wiring damage, not too much evidence yet about what's happening to the lamination within the generators. There's a lot of other things that are going on there from a safety and technical perspective, which I'm just not, I don't think that's relevant to this today. But, yeah, so there are ways to do it safely, but they're going to cost you a lot of money. They're going to be a very time-consuming experience. And to be honest, you're not going to get a full system response by doing it. Because you're going to take one system and you're going to test one path, we're able to provide you the full system response. So you're going to get a totally different uh, view of your vessel if you perform testing using the generator voltage response tester and the associated technologies. And, of course, I have to preface that with, All of my disclaimers, including inside of a comprehensive testing program, not just by itself. This test is not something that you can just roll out and go, hey, sweet, I'm ready to go. You know, that's not going to be the way that this test is approached in the industry. So and we're super pro that we, you know, we believe in a thorough regime. This is just one missing piece that people didn't have before. So,
1: So you're offering that piece to the puzzle. Do you consult or add service to the to fill out the whole package?
0: We can, yeah. So what we've been finding is that people either have that in-house and they're totally comfortable with what they've got going on and That's they're just missing the that one piece.
1: Large operators. The large
0: operators. And then you've got other people that are just thoroughly confused and they really really want help and they they want to know if you know if we can come in and fix this problem and then also while we're there if we identify anything else what else we can do so we've kind of been running the gamut there's been a lot of talk about batteries on board lately that's going to be huge for you for the next like couple of years. Sorry, you're going to learn about batteries.
1: Um, that's fine.
0: And so, batteries on board obviously add a layer of technical challenge that the industry hasn't asked the right que- enough questions about yet. So we're. We're seeing a lot of those sorts of things coming on as well at the moment. I'd like more consulting <laughs> but just to keep the money in. But, yeah, no, it's it's a thing. It, it's coming.
1: Yeah, because this is a startup. You guys are mm-hmm. just, just getting it up that's off the ground.
0: R- that's right. It certainly has its moments where I think, what was I thinking when I did this? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Do you miss any part of – your petroleum engineering career now that you're doing this? Do you think, oh, man, I could.
0: Oh, uh, I, I miss getting paid. <laughs> and by paid, I mean lots <laughs> as yeah. opposed to not getting paid much. Yeah, no, The I've very rarely, as I said, like, you know, my career has been this constant progression beyond the last piece, right? So I don't miss it. And I think while startups and entrepreneurship certainly are not for the faint of heart at all, it's been a really, really exciting ride, and I've probably learnt more in the last two years than I would have doing anything else on the planet. So, no, I, yeah, I, there's too much to learn in too many different places to say that I'd miss one thing particularly, but, yeah, it's been fun. I'm still waiting to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up, so, you know, i am just keep moving around till I figure it out, right?
1: I think everybody is. I know I am. I'm still trying to figure it out. You're right. Okay, so so you, you've moved into this realm. You're in the entrepreneurial startup realm that you probably didn't see on your horizon a few years back.
0: Yeah, it's the downturn, a wonderful thing.
1: <laughs> but it's got to be rewarding to see it come together and see something being built oh, around you.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. We're, you know, the first time we got our printed circuit boards in and we had our designs on a, you know, physically in front of us, that was super cool the first time we had our graduate employee, you know, who's a very, very talented engineer. And the first time he was able to explain it to someone else, we were like, oh, we're making a difference. You know, when we're at conferences and we're in meetings and people go, oh, well, what does One Step think about that? Then we're like, you know, yeah, we're making a difference. Yeah, you have a name. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's two years ago, no, no one knew who we were. And we've made big strides, and we're super, super proud of what we've done here, for sure.
1: So for advancing your growth, what do you see as the next big barrier? Is it the cost of the service, or is it the knowledge that people don't know they need this yet?
0: I think the industry is pretty well aware of its need. That has been one of the great things about batteries. It has been just changing this conversation 18 months ago at OTC, no one knew what voltage dip ride-through was. No one knew that they needed to worry about short-circuit testing. This May, when OTC came around, Offshore Technology Conference, the OTC I came one. around, yes, yeah, so I'm like, oh, I'm acronizing. When we were at OTC, you know, the conversation was very different. It was like, oh, great, wow, we need that, awesome. The barrier to that then is the offshore cost structure at the moment. The largest number of vessels are with the smallest Margins. So the the companies that are most in need of this technology in order to gain gain those efficiencies have got the smallest margins, and they're they're struggling to you know to justify the expenditure. They're struggling to justify you know bringing R C N. So and I get where they're coming from because it is a very it's a luxury. It's a luxury to be able to say hey yeah we've done this testing and we're going to move on and. But it's a luxury that's going to be more and more needed by the industry. The other problem we've had has been around the acceptance by all of the stakeholders. So you can't just go and test and have that be accepted. One of the things that happens when you're introducing a new technology, whether it be this sort of technology or with anything that you bring in, the first question is, well, who's done it before? Okay. And you get through the, well, who's done it before? And, you know, you do whatever you need to do to get that answered. And then they say, well, what does the class society think? And you go, oh, well, class society thinks that they'd like to see another test, right? And you go, okay. And then, well, what does Coast Guard think? And okay, well, Coast Guard thinks that they would like da-da-da-da-da, right? And so it becomes this constant battle of, well, what does so-and-so think? What does so-and-so think? And you kind of, okay, well, so-and-so thinks this, you know, or you, as much as you can because you can't give away the farm either and you can't portray someone's acceptance of the technology if they haven't accepted it either. So it gets really, really interesting trying to balance it and get all the stakeholders in the right room has been
1: the big one. Yeah, so the technology is proven, just not fully accepted. Exactly,
2: okay. exactly. That's so, like
1: me in this podcast. I, <laughs> I can I can do a podcast, but everybody's like, hmm. Let me hear a few episodes, and then, hmm. then, then I'll, then I'll come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or I'll, I'll come on your show later. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. So thank you. You're an early adopter oh, of gosh. my podcast, <laughs> Interviewing Skills,
0: which is great. You're doing great. Right, thanks. <laughs> you too.
1: So, okay. So let me come back. We are testing these power systems. We are now trying to get adoption. We... Have you, know, you have all the stakeholders. I would think this being at a very high level a safety improvement device, is this like many safety improvement devices, they come after some kind of tragedy, some kind of event, something mm-hmm. that triggers and they go, maybe we should have done that differently. Mm-hmm. So you kind of find yourself in that that space a little bit?
0: If it weren't for... A lot of the conversations around efficiencies, that is absolutely where we would have been. We were very, very concerned about that, looking around, trying to find the incident that we could point to, that that we could say, hey, you know, this wouldn't have happened if you'd done this testing, right? we're really, really lucky in that the conversation has turned towards efficiencies and green and batteries on board at the right time for us as a technology. So we haven't had to have quite so much emphasis on a specific incident. You know, I named a few earlier just as examples of those styles of incidents. The style of incident that you would see, for example, the Viking Sky incident that happened just before OTC, I think it was about April or May this year, which was a cruise ship And the cruise ship was in the Norwegian Fjord. They had left port. The incident reports available. I'm not even going to attempt to try and repeat it. But basically they left port. They had a series of engine failures as a result of a lube oil alarm and they lost the vessel. They put down an emergency anchor and the anchor didn't hold and they were heading to the rocks. They were emergency medevac'ing people off. They, the videos were a huge issue. It was an international incident. I mean, I'm talking cruise ships. So yeah. every man and his dog knew about it, right? You're looking at I remember, like you remember now. I'm like, right? I don't know the
1: name, but the now Viking Sky. It's the cruise ship that's kind of on its side. Mm, yeah,
0: mm, no, the photos are more of like from the beach looking out at this cruise oh, ship okay. that's like right there. Um, yes, the one yes, you're thinking okay, about right. is the Costa Concordia, and that's a different battle altogether. So that that incident when it happened, we were like, oh wow, is that? Is that the vessel? Is that the incident we're looking for? It was a lube oil failure, but it represents the same sort of system. If you lose your generators, because you've had one incident, one failure, and it's caused this carry on effect where you suddenly, instead of losing that one piece, now you've lost the whole system. That's that's sort of where the, the offshore risk comes. So you want to make sure if you're an offshore operator or you know, you're know you in charge of a vessel, you want to know that if something goes wrong and it inevitably will, right, there's always going to be something going wrong, you want to know that that thing is isolated to one failure. You don't want that failure to cascade and cause your whole vessel to go. And that's what happened with the Viking sky. So, And I've mentioned it three times by name.
1: <laughs> um, hopefully they're not a listener. Hopefully they the don't listen. That's the only listener I I don't want to have. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> so because and that's really because that generator truly is the heart of that ship. Right? Exactly. It, it's it's generating the power that services everything that's, from there's
0: no extension lights. That's the right. The <laughs> lights on
1: to the to the thrusters to the Build your pumps to the
0: everything. Everything, yep. Okay,
1: yeah, and if you lose that, it all downhill from there.
0: Yeah, you've got a little bit of time to figure out what you're going to do, ideally to figure out how you're going to get another generator online and keep moving, but you don't have a lot of time. In a scenario where you've got something connected to the bottom, whether it be a BOP or a pipe, if you're doing pipe lay, divers is another classic example. If you have something on the bottom, you need to stay there you can't be moving. Last Breath, I don't know if I'm allowed to plug other things here. Last Breath, the documentary on Netflix is a really, really good watch for people that want to understand a little bit more about dynamic positioning and a little bit more about how one system going wrong can take out so many, have so many implications and ramifications for the rest of the vessel. It's a really good watch. What was it called again? It's Last Breath.
1: Last Breath. It's just about dynamic positioning. Is it a, a it's, series or it's a movie
0: or it's a movie-length documentary on an incident that occurred in the North Sea back in 2012.
1: Okay. I'll have to check that out. I mean it sounds mm. very interesting while I'm on this.
0: Yeah, it's it's related to having divers down, which is at the end of the day, having divers on the seabed is got to be the most nerve-wracking experience for someone with responsibility around. And having something go wrong in that scenario is got to be a very, very difficult position to be in. So, yeah, Uh, it's it's a worth watch.
1: I can imagine a little bit. I actually, this whole week I've done an episode each evening and I actually met with a dive school, the Ocean Corporation here Mm -hmm. in Houston, and they train... Underwater commercial divers, and they also do NDT or you know, non-destructive testing. But I learned a lot just talking to them too, and mm. all the different things that those guys go through. That certainly some ocean cowboys, if you will.
0: Yeah, it's a different world, right? The people that do it have my utmost respect. I think they're slightly mad, but they're you know to do it is awesome, and I think they probably look at the world very very differently to how. A slightly more risk adverse engineers
1: would look at the world, perhaps. <laughs> hey, there's no boring day on that job, there, I'm sure. That's yeah,
0: a, well, remember? I'm sure there is when you're sat and sat yeah. for days on end waiting for to come back up to pressure or whatever. It's probably quite boring.
1: Actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now that you say that.
0: <laughs> but yeah, no, that. it's definitely when you're on the seabed, you'd be seeing things that the rest of the world aren't seeing, which right. is kind of
1: cool. That is cool. So, second to the the testing of the power systems. Is there anything else that can be done through your systems? I know you mentioned efficiencies and, and some of those discussions. Is that something that comes from what OneStep offers?
0: Yeah. So either as a result of performing this testing and therefore being able to do things like closing bus ties or adding batteries, you're going to get a whole heap of fuel efficiencies, cost savings. We're going to help you with your engine maintenance, you're just operating at better efficiency points in the curve for your generators. So you're going to get a lot of things that way, but you're also going to get the reliability improvements. You're going to know even in an open bus system, and I'm throwing out words that people that care will know, but in a in those less efficient modes, performing this testing is going to provide you with information. So suddenly you're going to know what actually happens when I have a fault, and that information is vitally important to DP uh, dynamic positioning officers and captains and OAMs and other people that are decision makers on board the vessel. If you know what's going to happen and you know how your system's going to fail. That's information you can react with and be able to respond to responsibly. So, awesome. Beyond that, our tech, uh, like our company and what we do, yeah, you're right. We do consulting. I personally also do consulting from away from the power system side, more on the compliance and regulation side as well. Acceptance testing and seeing how vessels get through these through all these gatekeepers that are stopping them from being able to operate and making sure that they're safe to operate and then demonstrating that to the clients. So that's what I do as well.
1: That's great. That's very interesting for all the different aspects. I I know I'm, I'm learning a ton. What's something that you wish you would have known or learned earlier on either just general industry, general professional career, or specifically here at One Step Power?
0: I think, one of the things that's been really obvious to me for the last couple of years is that it's okay to ask the dumb questions. I wish that I'd asked more of them earlier on in my career. I'm certainly not afraid to do it anymore because it's my company and who am I? who's going to fire me, right? But, the, well, the board might fire me. But <laughs> um, we sometimes are approaching the way that we operate our lives is trying to make sure that we don't, you know, we don't demonstrate that we're not the smartest person in the room. We don't necessarily need to prove that we're the smartest, but we don't want to remove all doubt. I think that maybe we're we're approaching it wrong and, you know, there's a lot of value in asking dumb questions, you know, around here, it's kind of the thing. If Sarah says, Hey, I've got a dumb question. That means you're about to have your world absolutely ripped apart because, you know, I've just destroyed your basic
1: operating assumption. <laughs> but that's how you, that's kind of how this started, right? You're sitting, yeah, exactly. you're sitting on like, that ship. Come on, man. Like
0: this why is- are we doing this? This is dumb. You know, and I wish that I'd done that more earlier in my career probably, but yeah. And don't be afraid to just do something, you know, like the secret to adulthood is that no one knows what the hell they're doing, right? Yeah. So we're all just making it up and figuring it out and and power too, if you do know what you're doing, <laughs> you know, but this is how you grow is by just saying, hey, yeah, let's figure it out.
1: Vulnerability in a leadership role can be extremely difficult, right? You're like, they're looking to me for guidance. I can't tell them that I don't know what we're doing either. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't have that problem because it's just been so blatantly obvious since day one. You know, we're really, really lucky with our team here. They're very much willing to go above and beyond. We Probably, if nothing else, that's been our greatest strength is finding just incredible people and then being able to leverage them and get them out doing what they do best. We're a small team, but we're mighty.
1: Is this it? Like, where we are? Where we
0: are, this is it. So you have three,
1: three, three more people. Three work.
0: testing techs outside, and then what? Eight officers, six officers in here. Yeah, so that's us. We have, yeah, we're very small, but you know, most of the brain power. We've got a lot of people outside that support us. You know, we don't have coding in house anymore. Our key coder is on another project. So, but we've got, so we've got people out helping and being ambassadors, and that's cool
1: too. So it's fun. Are there any general myths or, or misunderstandings that maybe we haven't covered yet about the the industry or oh so many, right? It's the maritime industry. Yeah. <laughs> well yeah, and that that's kind of my whole thing. Like it's <laughs> like we know what it is, right? Like it's ships working offshore in the ocean, but it's in the ocean. You can't just drive up. You don't drive by that. You don't see it. You know, and unfortunately, most of what we do get to see as the general public is, is usually not in the best light. Right. Exactly. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, and a lot of myth just for the industry as a whole. And that's true,
0: and you probably hit on it then too, right? Which is that there are very, very few badly intentioned people in the industry. Right. Everyone is here to get the job done safely, to make sure that the oil stays where it's meant to be going and to do what is necessary to go home safe. And there are very few people that are out there going, you know, that's not, how, that's not how the industry is working. You know, we're here because we want to make a difference, we want to be safe, we want to do the right thing and we want to go home to our families. And I think that is pretty fair for everyone in offshore and onshore. We're not doing anything differently. We're just away from our our families more, you know. And we have a lot of weird superstitions and traditions just like everywhere else, and I'm not even going to go there. But, you know, there's good, very, very cool people out there doing their thing and then getting some pretty funky rewards for doing it, you know, getting time off and doing various bits and pieces and seeing the world, which is kind of fun. So
1: Everybody I've talked to so far has talked about the whole world right yep. everybody's like i worked here i worked here yep. you were showing me australia and you said korea, South korea. yeah yep. yeah yeah so that's really cool and I, I hope to continue learning more about that i'm, I'm hopefully gonna get out on a, a vessel here myself at some point oh, fantastic. for a while yeah we'd like to record one of these shows from a vessel and brilliant so lots of cool stuff to come well this has been a fantastic discussion. I really appreciate all the information. Is there anything else that you want the audience to know about yourself or One Step Power? or?
0: No, we're here. I guess that's pretty much it for us. We want to make sure that people know they have options. If you are looking at, if you are in a decision-making role on board a vessel, as far as like a chief mate or a chief engineer or even an engineer in, or a DPO, if you are looking at doing testing, there are solutions for you out there. That's one of the things that's been really cool in the last 12 months is getting to know chief engineers and engineers on board vessels and getting to be able to talk to them and say, hey, you know, yeah, we can help speed this up and we can make it safer and you don't need to take the risk on those incidents anymore. So if you're out there, thank you. And I appreciate the time.
1: Thank you. How can any of the listeners reach you or OneStep? If, mm-hmm. if they want more information
0: okay so we've got a website obviously steppower.com. you can reach me at info at onesteppower.com and yeah if you just google you generally find us voltage step ride through if you google it you'll find us yeah we're around <laughs> and we're always at all the
1: conferences so sarah thank you very much for your time thank you very much for the information and discussion and to the audience, thank you very much for listening. Tidewater Marine, thank you very much for the sponsor. And we'll catch you on the next one.
2: Thanks, guys. Hey, guys. We have a couple of OGGN events on deck for the next month. OGGN's next Houston Happy Hour will be on October 29th at the Cannon for 4 to 6. As always, a portion of the proceeds will go toward Redeem Ministries to fight human sex trafficking. At this happy hour, we'll be discussing the process of taking a startup from simply an idea to obtaining the first purchase orders. The panel discussion will include Saudi Aramco Ventures, Shell Ventures, NOV, SCF Ventures, Eternal Energy, and Well Diver. Our next Denver happy hour will be on November 6th. Come join us for food, drinks, and a live podcast that we will announce at a later date. A portion of this event's proceeds will go to local charities Safe House Denver and Oilfield Helping Hands. Okay, now to the events on deck. The Tamora-Leste Oil and Gas Summit 2019 will be on October 3rd through 4th in Dilley-Tamora-Leste. The SMRP third quarter West Houston chapter meeting is on October 3rd at 1130 in Houston. This event will cover the topic, Are Your PMs Preventing or Causing Failures? IPAA and TIPRO are hosting their Leaders in Industry Luncheon on October 9th in Houston. On October 14th, the Canon will be having a Disruptive Energy Workshop. The API Golf Tournament will be held on October 14th, 2019 at Kingwood Country Club. And as of right now, there are some spots still open, so be sure to check their website and register your team. The 2019 Operations and Process Technology Summit will be on October 14th through 16th in San Antonio. The summit will cover maximizing your molecular advantage, practical solutions for today, forethought for tomorrow. On October 24th, OGGN's very own Mark LaCour will be speaking at Tech to Market in Shreveport, Louisiana. The Balkans Petroleum Conference will be held on October 24th through 25th in Budva, Montenegro. The summit is the official event for the Balkans oil and gas industries. Lastly, the George H. Bush Conference this year will be on October 28th through 29th in Houston. Honoring President George H.W. Bush, the Bush China Conference brings together Americans and Chinese to discuss critical bilateral, regional and global issues and to generate innovative recommendations for advancing the relationship.
0: Tune in next week for another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore podcast. A production of the Oil & Gas Global Network.
2: Learn more at oilandgasoffshore.com.